Hey, everybody, welcome to the Addiction Unlimited podcast, where you get to learn everything you want to know about addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Angela Pugh, co-founder of Kansas City Recovery, life coach, and recovering alcoholic. To learn more about me, you can listen to episode zero on your podcast app or find us on the web at addictionunlimited.com. So I started to say a minute ago, I'm really excited to get to talk to you too, because years ago, this is going to sound kind of stalkerish. Just bear with me. I swear I'm not a stalker, (laughs) but I think I told you this when I messaged you. So years ago, when I first started the podcast, like Instagram was super important to me. I loved Instagram. I spent a lot of time on there. I built my Instagram really fast because I put so much time and energy into it. And then I feel like, you know, like all great things, they kind of ruined it and I lost interest in it. But I remember all those years ago, you were one of the only other people really being open and present and talking about recovery. Like there were not very many of us that many years ago. And I always loved watching your stuff. And you posted something one day that literally like pierced my soul. And you held up a sign that said, wine is not an accessory to motherhood. And I literally was blown away. And I'm not a mom, I'm an auntie, but just the magnitude of that statement, because even as a person that's not a mom and not going to the games and the meetings and the kid things, like you still see everywhere all of this mommy needs a glass of wine and we're seeing this stuff on aprons or what, like it's just everywhere. So you have always been on my mind that I wanted to have you on my show. And with my endless rambling, let's take a minute and tell everybody a little bit about you and what you do. You guys, this is Michelle Smith. She is Recovery is the new black on Insta. That's how I know her. And and her Insta is fantastic. And I'm super excited for this conversation. So thank you for coming on. Thank you, Angela, for having me. I, you know, it's, it's fascinating to see like which, you know, slogans or which posts or reels, you know, can capture somebody and find that connection between, you know, this boozy culture that we're truly living in and, it's pretty awesome to be able to see empowering women just like you that are finding our voice so that we can recover out loud for those, especially the women that are in silence, that are drinking secretively in isolation. And we know what that does. That opposite of addiction is connection. And I was a victim of that, like you said, with the mommy wine culture. And I like to preface it with like, I am an alcoholic. I'm in recovery. I'm a recovering alcoholic. And I had that predisposition. So I try to make it abundantly clear that the mommy wine juice culture is not responsible for my alcoholism. I poked the bear. And Mm -hmm. what essentially happened is it was my excuse. It was my green light to self-destruct. I poked the bear out of hibernation and here we go. And it roared for a long time. So um, thank you for telling me about that post that meant something to you after especially all of these years. And so you're right, there wasn't very many people out there having these conversations. And, you know, I had to make a really hard decision once I stopped drinking. And I made an even harder decision by going public about it, which is something that a lot of fear 
is behind with women wanting to do this or anybody wanting to do this. And so I knew that I would continue to self-destruct if I didn't start to document and use Instagram as my personal diary. The setbacks, the failures, the successes, no matter how big the success is, I need to note it because I am so good at keeping track of my mistakes and not my victories. It was just like the victory is the mark on the calendar, the coin that I receive. And I had to start incorporating different ways of measuring success in my recovery. And that's what I am doing now with you know, thousands of women. I founded Recovery as the New Black, which is a digital community for women who are living or exploring an alcohol-free life. And I think it's really cool these days because you know, I think when I first started exploring sobriety, there wasn't such a thing as sober curious, gray area drinking. It was, it's just this like unwritten rule that everybody drinks and it's normal unless you're an alcoholic or you're pregnant. And mm-hmm. so it was this, now what's 50 shades of these gray where it's like, for any reason, we can test drive sobriety and explore our own personal relationship with alcohol and discover, is it healthy? Do I have more problems than I thought I did with alcohol? How does that make me feel? What is it going to cost if I don't take a break? And so there's this really cool movement of let's not get to rock bottom. Let's explore our relationship and see if it's problematic and if changes need to occur. And that's what I love about what I'm doing virtually right now is providing that space for people to get simply curious. Because as we know, it needs to be their idea. I can't tell them that they need to do something. People tried to tell me for years that I had a problematic (laughs) relationship with drinking. And I'm like, worry about yourself. I was defensive and I was in denial and I was resentful for anybody who was going to try to help Michelle. And so that's what I live and breathe is just going across the country and I've written some books and I speak about it. And I just truly believe that the best form of alcohol prevention is talking about alcohol. And I will continue to do that until I can't do that anymore. Yeah. Amen. Now I would say there has always been gray area drinking conversations they just didn't have the title of gray area drinking, mm-hmm. right? Which is like this hashtag kind of marketing thing almost. But in 12 steps, like we've always been talking about that stuff, right? Because there is a spectrum. Everybody kind of comes in at a different place. Everybody's details are going to be different in your life and how it affects you and whatever. And something that we always say in 12 steps when people say, oh, I haven't done that. That hasn't happened to me. We say, yet. And that's why there's your gray area, right? Like that's the spectrum. You know, it was what ultimately got me sober was a car accident. And people say all the time, oh, well, I never crashed a car. I'm like, well, neither did I. For 14 years of drinking and driving, I never crashed a car either. So that yet thing that I always heard throughout, you know, my early sobriety, especially whenever anybody would say, well, I haven't had a DUI yet. I haven't lost my family yet. I haven't lost a job yet. Nobody knows about my drinking problem yet. You know, it is. So that conversation has always been alive and well. I think 
so many things have changed in recent years that have just made the conversation really exciting and more people are willing to be a part of it, you know, which is fantastic because then we can just help more people. And that's what it's ultimately about is being the hand reaching out to the next person that needs that hand. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. Yep. It has been. The conversation's been there. It's just looked different. And it's like, yeah, it's like, why are we going to wait for this to happen until we take a look at our relationship? Because eventually it does. It just looks different for each and every one of us. Absolutely. Yeah. And the path to getting there is different too. And I know, you know, working with so many people over so many years, like most people kind of have the same concerns. They have the same fears and the same trepidations. And I know that it's, it can be hard to just accept that I can't have any more. (laughs) Like We're always experimenting and trying to figure out how to hang on to it and what can I do so that I can have some drinks, but not have too many drinks. And it's just, it's so hard to get to that place where I I always say it like it finally just beat me into submission. You know, it finally got me to that place that I was like, okay, dude, you win. I can't do it. You win. I'm done. (laughs) You're right. I'm done looking for that third door. Yes. But, but nobody gets there easily, you know, and unfortunately, oftentimes it does take many of us because we are very stubborn. We are very stubborn and it takes a lot of us, some sort of rock bottom moment to get to the place that we're like, okay, I can't have any more. Cool. I got to figure something else out, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that too, if, you know, we had more people talking about it and more softer places to land, you know, and we didn't look like we were an alien wanting to tell everybody that unfortunately we're going to pass on a drink tonight. I think, you know, looking back, it might've been a little bit easier for me to give it up, but it's just explaining why you're not wanting to consume is such a tedious, difficult, oftentimes embarrassing because we want to do it. We want to continue to drink, but we know if we do, or at least for me, I'm going to die. That's where it got. I'm going to die and I want to live now more than I want to die. And so if I would have had people who had education and knew how to support me when I didn't even know how to support myself, you know, maybe my journey would have looked different, but it, it is what it is. And I'm here now. And we all have to experience that different place for ourselves. Yeah, for sure. I'm really into this mindset um, the last couple of years, especially where I feel like it has become more clear than ever that, you know, rock bottom is a mental situation. It's not the event that happens to you. And everybody wants to attach it to some horrific life-changing event. And it's like, that's not even what rock bottom is. Rock bottom is the very moment you say, I cannot live like this anymore. I have to be different. My life has to change. You know, that's rock bottom. It doesn't matter what your outside details are, or if you've ever had a DUI or crashed a car or whatever, none of that stuff is important. It's how you feel about it on the inside that makes all the difference. And that's also the only thing that's going to motivate you to take your recovery seriously, to be committed to it at the level that we need to be committed to it. Absolutely. You've got to be sick and tired of the secret, the lies, the my world collided. 
And it was like, I'm exhausted. The mask is off. I, it's the cat's out of the bag. Like it's, it's go time. Like, what are you going to do about this now, Michelle? And as as much as it was like this embarrassing moment, it was like, I was done. People often ask like, what was your rock bottom moment? What did it look like? What finally made you stop? What was that consequence? You know what? I could go through and tell you every single one of the consequences, losing jobs, suicide attempts, four hospital admissions, inpatient treatment. Not all of it should have been my rock bottom surrender moment where I had that epiphany that said my life has to change. And I wish that I could sit here and tell you that one of those situations was that moment. And it wasn't. I woke up just like you said, the day before Thanksgiving in 2016 and made that handshake with the universe and my higher power and said, today is the last day. It is the rest of my life beginning now and nothing that I experience requires a drink at all. And I was just ready. And until I was ready, I was just going to keep practicing and failing forward and taking those lessons and using them to to strengthen my journey moving forward. So Mm -hmm. it was not all for nothing. It got me to the place of where I was truly ready to surrender and to know that my life had become so unmanageable that I could collect the pieces day by day, moment by moment and victory by victory. And look at us now, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, I kind of am glad that whatever happened happened now in hindsight, because I have such a beautiful life and I found Michelle again. And that is the most powerful thing that I have gotten from this whole experience. And I lost that through motherhood, through workaholism, through relationships and everything else that pretty rad to be a person in recovery because we do some really hard work that a lot of people don't do unless they're forced to do. That's right. That's right. That's why I always say, I mean, my, my sobriety, being an alcoholic is the best thing that ever happened to me because if I didn't have to recover, not just get sober, but recover, if I didn't have to grow up and learn how to function as an adult and become a good human being, I owe all of that to my alcoholism because I wouldn't have done one without the other. And every single thing I have in my life today is a result of my sobriety. And I can't be mad about that. You know, even even though that was those were really hard times too, but I can't be mad about it. You know, it's like everything just leads you to the next thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what happened in your recovery that really caught your attention to focus on the wine mommy culture? What caught my eye? You know, I think it was a couple of the sit down small mini interventions that made me really take a look at my drinking as a collective. Where are you drinking? Who are you drinking with? And that is when I kind of had that first glimpse. And I did like this experience experience experiment in my own home by saying, look at your surroundings. This should be your safe space. And I had wine decor. I had magnets. I had t-shirts. I had, you know, every shot glass from every vacation I had been on. Everything in my house, there were so many things in my house that resembled the life that I was living. I was collecting wine corks and wine glasses. Mm -hmm. And it was all this, you know, glitz and glamour and humor. And it was fun. 
until I couldn't even keep a bottle of wine. I couldn't understand people that could cork their wine back up in the kitchen. I mean, I was looking for all kinds of wine or anything that had alcohol in it at the lowest alcohol content towards the end. And that was what really sparked the curiosity of not acceptance, because acceptance to me means approval. But I acknowledge the fact that I was thick in it. I acknowledge the fact that my life had become unmanageable and the people that I was connected with, because we know birds of a feather flock together. If I'm going to be drinking, you better believe I'm going to be hanging out with people that are doing the same thing. Whether that's, okay, Michelle, you're going to yoga. Well, there's mimosas after or the pedicure, but I'm going to select the place that has unlimited champagne. So that was what really started to spark. Okay, I'm a mom now. I'm associating with moms because I can't clearly take time to find my own friends again. So I'm just going to have to link arms with these moms at the park because my kids are friends with their kids. And that's where we are. And this is the season of life I'm in. So that was when I really started to notice that there's this code and this unwritten rule that motherhood is really hard and drinking helps and everywhere, book clubs. I mean, baby showers where the mom can't even drink and there's bottomless mimosas. So just opening my mind up to curiosity and taking inventory on the environments that I'm in and that I'm choosing to associate with was where I really started to notice that I was sucked into this culture that this just sucks right now. And let's just do it drinking a mimosa. And that creates dependence, as you know, and our tolerance and our threshold. And then I would go home from those events. And you bet I would eventually stop at the market or the grocery store. And I'd save it for later. Nobody saw any of that. It didn't end at happy hour or at the birthday party. It would it would start to become this secret. So that that that's what I would say was the first moment of like, okay, this is where this is coming from. And what am I going to do and how am I going to pivot moving forward? Yeah. When you first got sober, like what was your journey of being more public like? Like how did you start sharing that? Because I I know for me, like I was public from minute one. Like I was telling everybody. I didn't have any shame. I actually really, I mean, to me, it was a badge of honor. I felt so empowered and so strong quitting drinking and, you know, going, even going to AA, like I always say, I felt like I was a part of this exclusive club, you know, (laughs) like in my head, it was just this really beautiful thing. Um, so I was very public always, but what did that look like for you in your circles, family, friends, the moms, all of that stuff? Yeah. Moms are going to give you, if they're still doing the same thing, of course, word of advice, don't, don't do what I did. I asked the people who I drink with, do I have a problem? Of course you don't have a problem, right? So that didn't work. Um, my family, they got to see the aftermath of all of it. And so they were supportive, but didn't know how to help. And their support looks like accountability, policing, um, consequences, you know, a little bit of enabling and codependency, but um, for the most part, they were just like, what do you need? And I don't know what I need, but as soon as I figure that out, I'll let you know. So there was a lot of accountability from them, but it was very unorganized chaos because again, I am a person who professionally works in the field of addiction. 
which is a huge stigma in itself. We have this issue and this, this whole, you know, this quietness of we don't talk about what we're struggling with. Well, let's add an extra layer onto that accountability of you are a person that is a professional in the spotlight, whether that's a doctor, lawyer, you know, and it goes back to this disease does not discriminate and nobody is immune. And I'm a perfect example of teaching relapse prevention classes in a maximum security prison. And I'm hungover. And I, all I can do is obsess about that three o'clock hitting so that I can get hopefully home before I have to stop at the gas station. And so it was very secretive for a really long period of time until the cat came out of the bag and I was ending up in hospitals I had worked at and their chemical dependency team was around me and I would wake up absolutely mortified and humiliated, right? Of course, this is never going to happen to me. You know, I didn't wreck my car. I didn't end up in jail because I work in them. I know the judges. That wasn't going to be my consequence. I know how to book myself and get myself out of there, right? So we we don't know what it's going to be. And so it was very secretive for a really long period of time, which again, kept me sick. I eventually was only associating with people who knew that I was an alcoholic. And then I was having that accountability. To be completely honest, I was where a lot of women are. I was embarrassed. I was mortified. A lot of it because I I knew better, right? Of course, we know better, regardless of what your name plaque says or what degree you have in college. And so I stayed quiet for a really long period of time. And when I hit a year was when I saw the light switch and the transition of my family finally believed me. There was this trust factor that was built. There was this, wow, Michelle is a very private person and has to be because of her job. And she's going public on a social media platform. Of course, there's accountability. And I think this is for real. Like she's in it to win it. And from that moment forward, when I had a year, I started having that confidence. And I knew that I could keep that momentum going because that was going to be a huge piece of accountability because I love our sober community just virtually that if we don't post for a certain period of time, your DMs are being flooded with, <laughs> I love you. I'm thinking about you. How are you doing? Are you okay? And that's, and even just, you know, when I would relapse in the rooms, they knew where I was. They didn't have to shame me. They just said, welcome back. Yeah. And that just gives me just the shivers and all the feels because they get it. Yeah. We don't need to shame ourselves anymore than we do it all for ourselves. For and so, sure. yeah. Absolutely. So that's, you know, it, once I hit that year, I really was like, I, I, I think I'm going to do this. I freaking love this. I'm not just chronically relapsing and never getting to these beautiful moments that people talk about that's so magical. I want to push through the 30, 60, and 90 and really live this life of recovery and honesty. And once I did, I became unstoppable. It was yeah. my superpower. Yes totally a superpower. But it but it takes a lot to get there. You know, it is not a simple journey for anybody. It's yeah, it's hard and it's so crazy. Now, do you find that is there a dad's drinking culture also <laughs> or is this really geared more to moms? It's a great question. Personally, I my my opinion is is I always like to say it as Big alcohol 
has their niches. They have their markets, right? You have the scotch drinkers, you have the beer NFL dads. Like there was this untapped, underserved population of extremely vulnerable women going through postpartum, going through this new season of motherhood. Let's target, right? And you get the skinny wines, the vodkas, the flavored this, the t-shirt and that. And that's where they struck gold. I truly believe that. And that's what I fell into. So I feel like there is the male culture, but women are drinking for emotional voids and comfort where it feels good. Of course, the reason people pick up any mind altering chemical is because it feels good and it Mm -hmm. feels better. But when we're getting such a hit of dopamine that is so euphoric, that isn't being dripped out, like walking out and seeing the sun that has natural endorphins and dopamine, like that is the beautiful part If it. If we have to not work at it, it's not real. Right. And so that's, I feel like the difference between the male and female mom versus dad is that they can have those drinks and hang out with the buddies. i wanted to feel better. And I was sad and I was depressed and I felt disconnected and I wanted community. I wasn't getting it by being with them, which I was convincing myself that that was friendship. There was no substance. It was drama. It was gossip. It was superficial. I wanted to feel connected. I felt alone. I felt sad. And that gave me the synthetic confidence. It gave me the idea that I felt better momentarily after 15, 20 minutes or three bottles later waking up in the hospital, I felt worse, obviously, more anxious, more depressed, more problems than I had before. And so I think it's just the it's just different in how they're divided and what their purposes and their of their consumption is to begin with. Um, we're emotional creatures, right? Mm-hmm. As women are just, you know, we have a lot on our plates and we are expected to do it all and to do it all with a smile on our face. And, you know, when I would scroll through these Pinterest worthy, beautiful family photos and beautiful kitchens, that wasn't my life anymore. And my expectation for what I thought modern day motherhood was going to look like and where I was sitting in the thick of my own reality, it was so different. And I never thought about what can you do now that you're a mother of two? You can't do what you were doing when you were working in corporate America with no children. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was always falling short. That was what it was. And I felt like I was failing and that I wasn't giving my kids and my partner the best of me. And I lost myself through the process. Mm-hmm. It's so easy to do. I, I think too, I mean, this is what logically makes sense in my head is that the drink numbs all of those feelings, right? And I would think for moms, one, it would probably numb the exhaustion because parenting is no joke. I mean, parenting is some craziness on another level with the amount of energy you have to have and what you have to do 24-7. It's crazy. So I would imagine it would numb some of that, but also would numb the frustration, right? And just tired and being end of day and trying to do homework and dinner and bath time and bedtime and all of that stuff. Like I get that it would just take the edge off, you know, and kind of make that all feel a little bit easier. That's exactly what it is. It's that transition and that role of it's innocent until it's not. And so that one glass feels great. And I don't have time to go 
you know, look for the sun or walk for 15 minutes without attaching a trailer hitch to the kitchen to the stroller to get outside of the pouring down rain. Like that was my reality. And so I didn't have time. I didn't have money for a nanny or for these amazing things that people have as, as tools and privilege. I didn't have that. So I had to make it work. Cooking, a gla- you know, cooking and having a glass of wine, it worked. It was my self-care. It quieted the noise and the chatter in my head. And it yeah. felt amazing. Yeah. Again, that dependence and the tolerance. Then that, oh, well, all of a sudden I had a glass and a half before dinner. Then just one glass at bedtime. By the time my head could spin, I was waiting to get through bedtime stories, skipping pages just to have that glass right. of wine as that reward and that treat. And what we define in our society is self-care. That's Self-care is caring for yourself. Loving and honoring the way you speak to yourself, move your body because it does some incredible things for us. That is self-care, not shoving a mind-altering chemical that is destroying you from the inside out that is literally poison. That is not self-care and there is nothing cute, glamorous, or funny about it, period. For sure. Also, like, listen, even talking about that in the bedtime story and skipping pages, like those are the little tiny details where you are starting to make decisions based on your drinking. And I know for sure when people call me initially, you know, for coach, like when we're doing our first consultation call, those are the dots that are really hard to connect in those, when you're still in active addiction, for sure, like it takes a little while. But when you start understanding that, like when I started to see how many little tiny decisions I made revolving around my drinking in one way or another, it was, it was horrifying, honestly, because I had no idea. And like in 12 steps, that's when we say something becomes your higher power, right? Like if you're making your decisions based on this thing and you're not going to this place, like I remember my sponsor saying this to me one time after going through a breakup and he's like, oh, are you going to meet your friends? I was like, oh no, my ex might be there. Oh, are you going to go here and do that? No, my ex might be there. And he goes, oh, so I guess he's become your higher power now because I was making all my decisions around him, seeing him, not seeing him, right? And we do that with alcohol. That's where it takes that place in our life where everything we're doing starts to revolve around doing it, making time to do it, recovering from it, making excuses for it, you know, like everything. And that little, ooh, that was a good little golden nugget right there, skipping pages in the bedtime story. Absolutely. And that's the best way that I've noticed of working with somebody or just, you know, answering a DM. It's not, well, Michelle, I, I'm i way far away from your story. Well, so was I when I walked into the rooms and I wanted Absolutely. to walk the heck out. I mean, I would mm-hmm. drink in the bathroom there just because I'm like, these people are nuts. Like, this isn't going to be my story. Like, they're like literally going to die if they don't stop drinking. I wasn't there yet. I was definitely further along than sober curiosity. But I didn't have the ability or I wasn't ready to find the similarities. I was looking at yeah. the differences. And that's what people like what you're saying is I, I have Michelle, that hasn't happened to me yet. I get that. But what good is coming out of doing it? Right? What good? So ask yourself that not what is it? I'm not that bad. And this hasn't happened. So what is it going to cost you if you don't? What are, why are you doing it? What is it? What benefit is it providing you? And for them to write a list of why they do it, it's very minimal. 
And it's such a beautiful way to get them to start seeing their own inventory and their own patterns and how, oh, wow, I used to do this to self-soothe, but I don't have the time. Well, you know that you're drinking and that's not helping. So how can you make the time to take care of you before you have that option or that that ability to make that decision for yourself and child protective services makes it for you like they did with my situation. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like, just start taking inventory on what is in your house. How is this affecting your life? What is this taking away from you being present in your own life that you worked so hard to build and love? And why do you want to escape everything that you wanted and you worked so hard to get? Why are you wanting to escape your own reality now? And I had to do that deep work beyond, you know, I lost my mother when I was becoming a mother, I started having health issues and I had strokes, you know, my husband went to war, like there was so many things that are not excuses, but I had to work through in my program and therapy to say, that was what changed. I didn't have support. I didn't take time to do the bereavement work. I self-medicated, right? So there's all these pieces that makes sense of why you picked up, but now how are you going to fix it? Because you're responsible for fixing it because nobody that has died is ever coming back from me drinking. And I want to live a life that they would be proud of not to see me struggle. So that, you know, that work, it's just, it's tough, but picking up those breadcrumbs and reverse engineering and getting really clear on your habits and your daily routine, because you're right. It starts just minimal little itty bitty bites that are innocent that say, I ha- I'm far from having a problem. Right. Let, let down the facade and, and the resistance and just be open to, to exploring how that might turn out. Yeah. The possibility of what if. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You've given us so many great things to think about. What if somebody is sitting back today trying to figure out in this mommy wine culture, right? And they're identifying with everything that you're saying and saying, oh my gosh, that's exactly my situation. What is something you would tell them? Like, how can they just get started doing something today? My philosophy is when you have a head full of sobriety, drinking is never the same. Instead of taking things away from your life and you feel deprived and you feel restricted, it makes you want it more. So while you're in the carpool line, while you're folding laundry, listen to podcasts like this, download them, little nuggets of hope and stories and inspiration that that are going to resonate with you get a quit lit book. On Amazon, it is cheaper than a bottle of wine. Get stuff that are going to help support you and love you and nurture you, not deplete you and take everything away from you. Get into anonymous groups and Facebook, things that are free. Just expose yourself to knowing that people just like us struggle too, and that we're not alone is the biggest piece of advice that I have for people is just to not go in full guns blazing and just Mm -hmm. dip your toes in the curiosity to know that, wow, that bedtime story resonates. I do that, right? I, I haven't done the bereavement work yet. I'm connecting that I'm sad every anniversary that my mom has passed. Like my mom died on her birthday. 
So October 17th, every year, it is hard because I have that. And that's one of the things I know that I have to be very mindful of, right? So those little pieces of nuggets are allowing you to be open to, wow, I need to remember that some of these days are ingrained and I have to be on point and the other ones are just going to, you know, spark our, you know, the world shuts down or we lose our job or we're just having a really crummy day and feeling triggered. But just having your head full of sobriety and just starting to listen to things, because if we take things away, it's like, we feel like we have this like Swiss cheese. We're holy all over. Right. Mm -hmm. And if we don't plug them back in with friends and with community and with cool celebrities that are struggling too, like that's where we, that's where it's at. That's where I've seen the biggest epiphany and pivot into exploring and having them let down their guard. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that you talked about like going to meetings and the anxiety around that and drinking in the bathroom, because I think so many people think of it like, you know, as somebody that's been sober a long time too, like they think that I'm like skipping down the hallway, you know, to go to my first meeting. I'm like, no, we're all terrified. <laughs> like yeah. we all have that anxiety. Like I almost threw up the first time I went to a meeting because I was yeah. terrified walking in there. We all have that. So just know that everybody else that's there felt the same thing. You know, we're all scared doing that stuff. It's hard. Absolutely. Um, and I, I honestly, when I went in there for the first, like the first year, I had a pit in my stomach. I couldn't say with full honesty and transparency, hi, I am an alcoholic. Like my name is Michelle and I'm an alcoholic. But the moment that year, I, it's again, how you started this whole podcast badge of freaking honor. That is not necessarily a label that I'm proud of that label, but that tells yeah. me, Michelle, you're a person who can't drink. That's the only thing in this world you can't do, which leaves endless possibilities of things that you can do. And that title I'll wear with a badge of honor for the rest of my life. Yeah, it is super strength too. I mean, being a person with addiction is not an easy thing to be even healthy, right? Like we do, we have brains that move very quickly. We do have anxiety. We obsess about things. Like it is a challenge, you know, but to be one of us and to do it successfully is a, an inner strength that a lot of people don't have. So it is its own superpower. Um, okay. Final question. Favorite question. Mm -hmm. What is your favorite thing about being a sober person? Ooh, good question. I would say that it has catapulted me. It is, it has given me the ability to be authentically who I am without apology. I, I found my superpower. I found my strength. I found my voice. I found what color I like. I like what kind of food I like. I have more confidence and ability to set boundaries and define who I am and what the heck I love. I have crushed my goals because I'm sober. Like I make these big, scary, hairy goals. I'm fulfilling every single one of them. I was a quiet hidden, drunk with her head held down, suicidal, will, wanting to die. I don't want that anymore. So good. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and for being so outspoken. I, I just appreciate so much everybody who's willing to speak openly about it and just own who we are and be proud of it. Thank you so much. And you know, like I told you, you were the first podcast that I started listening to when I started getting sober. Oh, so wow. 
again, to, to come full circle and for you to know that, you know, we don't hear that enough all the times that we just think that we're doing good and spreading hope and inspiration and people are retaining things and people are grateful. And I just want to allow you that you've created this space that has meant a lot to me and so many other people. And you, you need to hear that. So thank you for doing that. Thank you. You've reached the end of another great episode of the Addiction Unlimited podcast, candid and honest conversation about addiction and recovery. Be sure to visit us at addictionunlimited.com to join the conversation and access show notes and links to everything we talked about. Love this episode? Please take 30 seconds to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes to help us improve and give you the information you want. Thanks for listening. See you next week.